Hi, I'm Lucy. And I'm Pinky. And you're listening to Thank Folk for Feminism. Welcome to our December edition. And we're super, super stoked to be joined by Maddie Pryor and Rose Ellen Kemp this month, the Queen of Christmas and her daughter, no less. So on the theme of festive joy, I wanted to ask you, Pinky, what are you most looking forward to this festive season? Do you know, I think for me, it's about going back to the more simple stuff and spending time with friends and family and people I love. This time year, last year, of course, we were right on the brink of national lockdowns. We were struggling with issues around COVID and the pandemic. And I was right at the end of finishing my degree and writing up um, a master's thesis that I hadn't even really started at this point last year. Um, so yeah, looking forward to being able to give myself permission to switch off a little bit and just have some fun with the people I really love. How about yourself? Oh, that sounds really great. You're also a little more hopeful than me. I think I've been a little bit um, spooked by the new COVID news that we've been seeing coming out in the last few weeks. So my my thoughts of the big family Christmas we would normally have are now sort of, oh, I wonder what will feel right on the day. Um, so I think, you know, I might have to do what you've just said and just revert to if we hunker down and eat mince pies, that's actually all we need. And there's beautiful snow in Derbyshire at the moment. So um, my son keeps saying, is it Christmas? Because it must be Christmas Day if it snowed. Is it Christmas now? Um, No, but nearly. (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely Christmas now. Yeah, pies, mulled wine, festive tunes. What more do you need? Exactly, exactly. Oh, well, this week we are just delighted to be joined, as Lucy said, by mother-daughter duo, folk luminary Maddie Pryor and her wonderfully talented business partner and daughter, Rose Ellen Kemp. Together, they are co-owners of Stones Barn, which is a haven for artistic learning and weekend workshops that encourage everyone to sing. And in today's episode, we are just delighted to be talking to them about their roots, the role of Stones Barn, and how to find confidence in your own voice and the stories you have to tell. Maddie, Rose, Ellen, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? Oh, brilliant. Yeah, good. Very well, thank you. Pleased to be here. Awesome. Well, we're just so pleased that the Queen of Christmas can join us for our December <laughs> podcast and um, and to have this brilliant angle with you, Rose Ellen, joining us today. So let's kick off with your joint project then, the fabulous Stones Barn and what it means to you, why it started and why it's important to you to have something beyond live performance to focus on. So Stones Barn, Maddie started it. Um, do you want to talk about kind of oh. how it how it became what it is? Well, it started because my mother came to live with me and uh, uh, and I, I, I was away so much and I thought, what I need is something that's at home where she can uh, be part of it, etc. And uh, and I thought, oh, well, that'll be a good idea. And so we, we set it up. And, and even after mother had gone, I realised it was something that I really enjoyed doing, that I found teaching and handing on um, enthusiasm for me, the song, I think, that was part of it for me. Um, and how much I like what I do and, and it and, other people could do it it's kind of more practical so we kind of got into the teaching and then went on we both went into different um, areas of uh, uh, well not academia exactly well it wasn't for me I uh, I did CVT complete vocal technique to to enhance my teaching but Rose has got another strand. Maddie is being modest (laughs) She went to Denmark to the Complete Vocal Institute six times a year for three years to learn how to be a singing teacher, to learn about her own voice, and to learn that every noise that the human can make with the larynx um, can be produced safely. So in that way, the Complete Vocal Institute is very progressive, and it's based on huge amounts of science from a very long time now. Um, And I went to study speech and language sciences at Newcastle University. So we've gone in in slightly different directions with um, 
with how we teach and what we teach and why we teach, but the, where we meet in the middle is, um, uh, yeah, our love of teaching, which we discovered through Stone's Barn, you know. And when it started, I was 17, so I, you know, I was still kind of in, heavily involved in touring at that point. Um, and I stopped touring a decade ago um, because I love, I love teaching, you know. Gigs are very hard to get right, but teaching is, is my absolute wheelhouse. You know, if you can bring a tiny bit of voice to someone who currently feels that they can't or shouldn't, or you know, you'll meet a lot of people like that that um, have been told they can't or shouldn't sing. Um, so to bring a little bit of that back to somebody is far more important than me standing and showing off. I've done plenty of that. <laughs> I'm still doing it. <laughs> She's still She's very good at it. <laughs> How wonderful that it started with you, Maddie, doing something because you wanted something that would include your mother to then have something that Rose Ellen could do with her mother. Like, you know, that yeah. kind of ongoing wheel, I guess, of family. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that, but yes, it's true. It was, it was, mm -hmm. It's a communication thing. The singing is so much about communication. And, um, and, putting your, your, your emotions, your feelings, your thoughts. It's, it, and the great thing about music, of course, is that it crosses all the boundaries. And it, it, you can be looking at it from words, from mm. melodic, from rhythmic. And everybody looks at it from a groove, and everybody does it differently and, and hears different things with it. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, I've learned a lot more about music <laughs> since I've been organising Stone's Barn than I ever did before. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. It's lovely to hear you both speak about teaching as a vocation, because, of course, teaching is something often musicians turn to. A lot of people have turned to teaching during this time. They couldn't gig during COVID. But mm. actually to do it properly, to, to, to give what you were saying, Roselle, and like a voice to people who've been told that their voice is worth nothing. It's a mm. huge honor and privilege and it's just beautiful to hear you both speak about it with such you know um mm. uh, such respect for the people that come to you to learn and such respect oh, absolutely. The skill in it in itself they're very brave <laughs> they are very brave because <laughs> to put yourself out there with your voice when you've been told you haven't got one is is really brave yeah. you know um, we make it once they come through the door that is not brave anymore but yeah because <laughs> because everybody there has done the same thing yeah. But it's uh, when it's the we have a singing for the uncertain is is, a, is that that's the access and people come for that when they've not sung for many years and been told so that's a that's an act sort of an access point for a lot of people mm -hmm. yeah. and there's a a real generational thing with the women that come to Stone Farm. Um, it's wonderful that that women who haven't sung their whole life, their whole adult life. And they go, do you know what? I've got things that I want to say now and I feel like I can say them and I want to be able to say that in the beautiful songs that I know. And, and I feel like, you know, the, the female voice in society is, you know, has to also have voice work, you know? There are so many voices in public life. Um, another, another voice therapist told me this. Um, if you listen to Radio 4 long enough and a woman over 70 comes on, she'll have that very shaky voice, you know, that very old person voice. There is no need to have that voice, you know, or a, or a young person who's really very, um, they've got lots of views, but it's very, uh, it's very timid, you know, and I, I think that voice work can be a bigger part of our lives and can help us express ourselves. Um, differently. It's very important to me. I could talk about this forever. We'll, we'll move on. <laughs> no, I was just thinking, you know, I think there's that thing isn't there almost of, as a woman, it kind of doesn't matter what your voice is, it's never right. You know, we're too loud, we're too quiet, we're too sure, shrill, yeah. we're too deep, like, you know, it's just routinely chipped away at in different ways, mm -hmm. which I guess also impacts on how, you know, women see themselves and place themselves within systems yeah you can't ever win and that's fine but there are um there are options you know you can have vocal options for different uh for different things that you need to do in your life you know 
the same as you would train for anything else to give you a you know more tools and weapons in the arsenal you know that's that's what it's for so yeah you don't have to just sing pretty little songs you can sing whatever you want <laughs> it's been interesting um finding out about how different people sing and how the pop world approaches it um how opera approaches it um how jazz every genre has its own kind of style and um the teaching has, has always been uh, 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 into the aesthetic of whatever line you're going in whereas cbt kind of has gone across all of them uh, because it's about technique of making that sound um and it doesn't always come out that that it's what you think it is when you analyze the voice it's quite often something quite different so it's um yeah so that's been that's been really interesting to do were you teaching online during the pandemic and if so have you found that accessibility and the sort of people who choose to join you you know has it extended the reach of stones barn sorry sorry i didn't quite get we don't um we don't teach groups on Zoom and Stones Barn really is about the group experience. So not just in a sense that the barn's a lovely place to come and have a retreat and meet new friends and eat lovely food and all of that stuff. Um, the group experience is really key for, for the kind of vocalizations as well. So Zoom was not doing it for us. Um, there's certain things about vocal technique we could do with a group. And, and I did a lot of one-to-one -one singing lessons with, with various people who are in uh, various countries, which was nice. Um, so lots of people who wouldn't normally be able to do singing lessons with me thought, hey, why don't we just try a Zoom? Um, and it's very successful one-to-one, -one, but for groups, especially for the social uh, and personal well-being aspects of singing, we're just yeah. lost. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, but, um, but, it's not ideal. But there's a group uh, of people who've been to the barn called the Barnstoners, and uh, they had a, they've had a right through lockdown. They've had a a Sunday night um, sing around, as it were, and they've and, and it's made a massive difference to some of the singers because every week they're singing a song, learning a song, and it's it's brought them on loads, and the confidence has come. But they're sitting in their homes, and it's so so that they've learned lots of things um harm how you know done a bit of harmony and things so that it's not uh, there's no focus on them if you like and they quite like that and i think it builds confidence so that's worked quite well but, but with very little to do with us well, well <laughs> you say that and, that and that's what i told them but they keep telling me that um it's they've taken everything that they've learned and they've been able to um really sort of put the skills into practice by being really self-sufficient and thinking right it's it's on me to learn a new song this week um otherwise everyone go oh you didn't learn a song yeah. you know so they also have a theme which this <laughs> week means you have to learn a new song yeah they, they must be struggling for themes at oh, this well, point. i'm sure I mean, they must be <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's that's something that they've they've taken on themselves and the barnstoners is a, a completely organic self-made kind of group that, that we we had nothing to do with they, they kind of set themselves up um, and it's been a wonderful thing watching people really support each other in their you know musical endeavors outside of the barn as well as kind of talking to each other to meet up at certain courses um, it's just it's lovely yeah to well, work very well works very yeah music making such a big difference to their lives and finding other people who feel the same and, and getting stuff made and done and performed, you know, it's, it's great to watch. It's hugely wonderful that they've taken what is obviously just a spark of something really caring and special at Stones Barn and taking it into day-to-day -day life and taking it forward. And um, yeah, that, that just sounds wonderful. So to change the scene a little bit, Maddie, we wanted, of course, to have a little moment to talk about Steel Eye and <laughs> wanted to reflect, wondered if you could reflect on, because of course you guys, um, you guys enjoyed massive mainstream success and there was you know tv show appearances and all that kind of exciting stuff and of course <laughs> what we know in the folk scene is often much more um handmade much more diy much more on a smaller scale so i wondered if you had any reflections of this career lived in two spaces 
it's been um it's been interesting as I, I started in the folk world in the folk scene um in the second half of the 60s from 65 onwards i would think and um and it was incredibly supportive it's a very nice world to be in there's there's not a lot of um uh, but you know there there really are no, um and it's so it was a really encouraging world to be in everyone was quite long suffering about you learning stuff and making mistakes and um and and out of it came a lot of performers a lot of comedians because it's it really is that moment when you're with in front of an audience of of a, of a, a certain size that humor kind of becomes part of what do you do? And the, the folk world has always had people talking. Um, so introductions to songs, especially since a lot of what we do is, is obscure uh, songs about things that in the past, history, ideas, and you kind of stress the fact that a lot of these ballads are exactly the same. It's just the, the costumes and the transport system that's different. You know what I mean? Otherwise, people don't change that much. And um, so it's, yeah, so... It, it's and so starting in that world, it, the, still I came out of that world with um, uh, Martin and, and Ashley kind of came through from uh, Fairport, but it was it was essentially a folk band and we looked at it from that. But we were we 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 were doing folk rock as it became, um, but we we were just trying to make it bigger and kind of. I don't think we thought of it as accessible, but maybe it was an element of that. And so we just, um, but I never, I, I never, every so often I've done interviews with other members of the band and they're in a different band, of course, to me. And um, they, they often have a, a theory. Whereas I have always said that we, we went, we, we staggered from song to song, basically, uh, because every song presented a different challenge. Uh, you could, and we tried various ways to come at things. I remember we did a, a reggae spotted cow, which was of limited appeal, <laughs> limited success. Um, but you know, there was so, so we were trying. We were always trying things, and of course, with when you try things, they can't all be winners. So it was always a, a very varied thing with with Steel Eye. We were always, and we still it still applies that you keep trying different things. The music is is essence. And traditional music is there. It's there. We've got it. You know, anything that's left, we now have it. Uh, so it's not going to go away. So you can't damage it. You know what I mean? Which is, um, uh, which I think, I think is reassuring. You know. Uh, so if it isn't your take, there's a million other takes to go at. You can find your own version of it. And that's what we've done. We've just made the songs the way we like them. As and that applies to who was in the band at the time, and of course that's changing these days rapidly. <laughs> but the basis is always the material, and I've always said that music, the singing, is about the song. That's the important bit, and it makes singing a lot easier if you don't think it's about you. You know, if it is about the song, that makes it easy. You, you know, it's, your ego is not involved. Your your job is to sing as well as you can to make the song work as well as it can. That's my take on it, really. Yeah, I feel like in that, in that, in what your answer there, you've just basically summed up the essence of what folk should be. You can't damage it. You can only experiment. <laughs> and what you said about let go of ego, you're a vessel for the story and that's it. And like, I feel like people listening to this just hold on to those two things if you ever want to sing a song that is the best advice ever thank you maddie <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I just want to say as a as someone who made music entirely as an autocracy like i did i was very much a solo artist um and the five albums i made in those 10 years that i worked um were, were just pure therapy for me I had one exact vision and I carried out that vision regardless of pressures from outside. And, but that's, that's sort of easy to do if you won't be pushed around by the industry and the fans and everybody else. If you can do that, that's easy. Um, and I, I never had a problem ignoring other people's opinions. Um, so, 
So that's very easy. But what's incredibly difficult for a musician is to be within a democracy like Steel Ice Band has been all of this time. Um, and it's been a moving, a movable feast um, for one goal, you know, to, to keep traditional music going, you know, and to make it amazing, you know, when it could be meh, you know, you can sing an amazing ballad and make it meh, you know, <laughs> and that's possible. I, you know, once or twice I've heard it. And still I just get the absolute best out of what there is. Um, and have somehow managed over all these decades to make that happen over and over again with different people, um, just with Maddie kind of steering it for taste. <laughs> so to be a democracy for this long is nothing short of a musical miracle. Yes, it's, yes, yes, and it, it's always been a democracy. I mean, I probably have a slightly louder voice at the moment, largely because I'm the only one that sort of knows the material very well. And um, that's, that's uh, useful to me, you know, to, to be, I am familiar with so much of it. That, but I don't, I, I, I wish they'd been doing courses when I was young, because what I've got in my head is a total jumble. And I'd really have liked it to have been sorted out. <laughs> kind of categorised a bit more, because I am not nobody's scholar. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I created the vocal technique course that we do at the barn because those are the things that I would have liked to have known mm. as a young vocalist. Yeah. I would have liked to have known that I could grunt and roar and scream and all that stuff and not necessarily have repercussions vocally. Um, and I was very careful with my voice, so I didn't do any of those things early on. But now, as a grown woman, I can make the most extraordinary noises because I've seen the anatomical <laughs> diagrams and the videos, and I've learned about the anatomy and the physiology of the body. And now I can I can pass that on to to people of all ages. But you know, it would be wonderful to to work with young people who really, really want to take voice seriously you know, who really want to learn about it and make something extraordinary happen. Um, so we're, we're, we're hopefully going to set up a few workshops for the younger people, specifically. Oh, sounds amazing. And what wisdom you can both bring to that space for young people, right? Because mm. one of the questions that came to me, Rosalind, was, you know, your capacity to carve out your own career. And as you say, you know, to deliver five solo albums mm. in the wake of, you know, such musical giants almost, you know, your parents are, you know, well-known, you know, brilliant individuals. How did it feel doing all of that, having that kind of, I don't want to say looming over you, because I think it can be a really positive thing as well, right? But you're always going to have that, you know, potential comparison, I guess, or people knowing yeah. you as the daughter of. And I suppose you, you lasses being in the folk world, would you're one of the, the population that thinks Steely and Maddie and Rick are, are a huge deal. And that's how I feel about them as well. Um, but there was nobody in North Cumbria that was desperately excited about them. And that's where I grew up. I grew up in rural North Cumbria. I wasn't in, in North London with, you know, hanging about with all the other people in bands, children. Uh, I led a very normal rural kind of life. So um, occasionally I, I went on tour with them and, and whatnot. But, but largely I was surrounded by people at home who were like, oh, you, they were on the telly once or twice, you know, they went on top of the pops and that was quite a big deal, but they didn't know why or, yeah. there was no context for them really. You know, they, they, they didn't care too much about folk music. So um, yeah, they, they were a big deal and they weren't. So <laughs> in, in my life, I wasn't brought up in, a, in, a, in that environment where, you know, people were constantly pandering and <laughs> no, all of that stuff. And, and I think that the other young musicians my age who were in the folk world called me the folk rock princess, um, <laughs> largely ironically. Uh, so that was also quite grounding. And um, uh, and, and it was never a, something I wanted to go uh, headlong into. You know, the, I thought that traditional music was sort of safe 
with my generation and, and to an extent they've they have pushed it forward and they have made it more kind of mainstream and and they've made it a damn sight more tasteful so that's fantastic well done guys for that but it's become a lot more tune based in some areas of the country and the songs are kind of the songs are kind of becoming a bit secondary with some corners and that's a real shame because the songs are what you get the kind of quality of historical stuff from which is really important there wasn't a there wasn't a place where i was going my my music was made because that's how i felt and that's what i wanted to make that's the way in which i wanted to challenge myself that particular week there was no plan there was no there was no grand ideas for you know what i wanted to achieve but um as i went along quite quite soon i discovered what i didn't want yeah. and and although people see this as quite a negative thing what i didn't want actually uh, drove me it led me to where i was going um so i had very strict parameters for every aspect of it um and i suppose that that made me what i was which was um <laughs> unfittable into a category sometimes and you know that's fine I didn't I didn't necessarily need to be accepted in any particular category like I say it was just um it was just therapy it was something I had to I had to do um yeah you have to say uh, you have to know that Rose's skill is phenomenal uh, her singing skill and uh, her her ability to analyze and separate and sort things is extraordinary. She she hears really really well music. I I kind of bumble through a bit, you know. That's my kind of background. But Rose is kind of really, um, as I say, she can do it all. Which, it. which I needed to do because I'm a, I'm a very non neurotypical type. I don't have all of the stuff to be able to do wild solos on the guitar. I don't have what it takes to sight read. I don't, you know, I don't have these things. So what I do have is an amazing ear and um, yes. immense level verbal reasoning or, or, <laughs> or gobby cow as people up here call it. What I love listening to you two talk is how you can be so <laughs> self-deprecating about yourself and the biggest cheerleader of the other person. Like, and you just both lift each other up in such a beautiful way, like it's a joy to listen to. Can I also add to that? This is very important. A lot of people asked me as a child uh, why I didn't want to just sing nice songs nicely. <laughs> um, they, they felt the need to ask me that on a daily basis, especially middle-aged men in folk music, especially fans. They <laughs> loved to ask me why I didn't just want to make a career going around art centres singing nice songs. Now, <laughs> that isn't what Maddie did. And you know that. <laughs> People who are really listening and really know the history know that that wasn't what she did. She, she made us sit in the garage once and she put, <laughs> she pressed play on a tape. This was a long time ago. You will explain to the is what a tape is. Um, <laughs> actually, record companies are making tapes. Oh, oh, they they tapes. The world is mad. It was it's a terrible format. Let it go. <laughs> anyway, um, she made us sit in the garage and she she pressed play on a thing and then she put these big sparkly black wings on <laughs> and she said, "I've got." And then she started singing. I saw with the drops of balance on the wind and we thought, oh shit. <laughs> oh God, she's gone. She's gone, that's it. We're, we're never gonna get her back. <laughs> and, uh, and that was sort of, you know, pretty normal. It's not like she said, oh, I've got this lovely new ballad. She wasn't interested. You know, if there was a ballad going, she'd do it if it fit in with whatever the, the incredible vision she had at that time was. But that wasn't what it was for. It wasn't for awards. It wasn't for pleasing the traditional uh, crowd. It wasn't for the mainstream. Again, it was her vision, you know, and it was an uncompromising vision. And I think she had to work with the right people to make that happen. Yeah. If she wanted to do an album about ravens and wear some wings, God damn it, she was going to do it. There wasn't anyone that was going to say, do you know what, it would be better if you just lost a bit of weight, put some jeans on and sung some songs from the shows, you know? 
Yeah, nobody said that to me. Which, which would have been a lot more money. And probably, is, you know, a claim from people we don't care about. But, you know, I didn't yeah. come from someone who just sung nice folk songs. That isn't what Maddie does. And so really, I'm no surprise. Um, this isn't something that just happened. You know, I'm not responsible for, for, my, for, for the role model I had. You know, Maddie wasn't at home cleaning and... Yeah. cooking us food she was thinking of wild visions of stuff that needed to be done to keep the tradition going you know yeah, I think which is what we do as teachers now and, and it's that inspiration that's kept me singing the songs all these years I think I think one of the best examples of that kind of side of it was was when I met the Queen at the Albert Hall on some some bash some charity bash and she said such jolly tunes and I thought long lanky you know, but of course we'd sung yeah. probably hat and stuff. But it was, you know, I thought that's kind of not what I'm doing. But we have to listen to a bit more than the first song, you know, but you know, Tamlin, Long Lankin, you know, Thomas the Right, these, you know, Alice, these all these huge archetypal ballads. That's what I'm saying. in my head. I mean, might not be totally true. <laughs> No, yeah, so you were, and you are a feminist. Sorry? You were, you know, those songs that you were choosing in those early days and the stereotype of what a woman in folk music could be, you were absolutely subverting. It's everything yeah. that Rose Ellen said, you know, and yeah. and what you said, Rose Ellen, about white middle-aged men telling you to sing nice songs nicely. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, that, that, you know, is still problematic, isn't it? This, this, this this image of what people need women in folk music to be, even though so many of us are not doing that. Mm -hmm. So where is this, you know, uh, it's now making me think, where has this image come from? Is there anybody who's kind of really, um, uh, you know, doing it? <laughs> is there anybody who's doing it? Or is it just that men really want them to be so they, cut out the part that, where yeah, they're like kicking ass you, and singing these it. amazing yeah, songs that's what, it is. that's what they <laughs> wanted me to do but but it was it was more than a want it was they felt privileged that that's what I should do by birthright so not only have they misunderstood what my parents actually do and did they they had also miss um they'd missed the point with me as well they massively underestimated what what I was capable of so it but it was the it was the privilege I didn't like and I really <laughs> I really just sort of left them for dead at that point and uh, and 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 burnt all those bridges big time um and and I I'm, I'm still fine with that <laughs> I don't regret a thing <laughs> but you know it wasn't just me I saw it happen to so many other young folk musicians um when whenever it was that we uh, were doing that thing with Eliza Right. There was a man that came up to her after she'd done that amazing progressive album with Van Dyke Parks. And then she made a, a quite a traditional album after that. Um, a man came up to her in the audience and said, I'm really pleased you're singing the tradition again. Y your songs really weren't that good. I'm really glad you're back where you belong. <laughs> and <laughs> I bet that went down well. <laughs> We had a good drink afterwards, <laughs> anyway, and and it's it's awful. It's awful that they feel privileged to say that to us, you know. Yeah. And then that does seem to be a folk thing. No, nobody in the the indie pop rock doom stoner rock what, whatever nonsense I was doing. Um, there was there was nobody who felt privileged enough to come up to me and tell me things like that. But no matter how on the spectrum they were or thought I was or well knew I was, they they would never feel that they could say that. But also, I had to adopt a very male persona to be a solo artist in in you think. You think folks are boys club? Wow, rock, <laughs> rock, stoner rock, doom metal. I mean that. Yeah, it, that that is the epitome of a boys club. And and yes, they like you if you're pretty and you wear a corset and all that, and then you get lots of respects. And if you can play the guitar, that's a bonus. But basically, you are just you're there 
in their world. Yeah, so a bit decorative. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to, the second I got to a venue, I had to completely change my face, my posture, my demeanor, but even the depth of my voice had to change. Otherwise men would feel privileged to just walk up and change the settings on my amp or change the way the microphone was pointing at the speaker, you know? So, so when I got there, because of the voice work I've done, I was able to go, don't do that. I haven't asked you to do that. Please go and do your job. You know, that's the kind of thing you have to do. And I don't want to have to do that. You know, I want to live in a world where I can just turn up and be my, my normal, frivolous, you know, feminine, God forbid, if I want to, self, without somebody thinking <laughs> she hasn't got a clue what's going on. Better change the settings on her amp or help her tune a guitar or, you know, something completely unacceptable. I once, um, I once went into a, a shop in Leeds, it was, and Rose said, I, I, I want to get a, a, a pedal some sort well, I said yeah I said quite specifically what I yeah. wanted and they didn't see. but but so this lad turned up and this Rose said oh I want to look at some pedals and then so then he started to talk down to her that was his very big mistake because <laughs> she routed him with all the information that he could possibly ever know and it was a, a magic moment I have to say <laughs> it was quite wonderful you don't often you don't often get, I just said open the case <laughs> you know so I could just have a, a look around you know but he, he was handing me a boss distortion pedal from the actual 90s and it was like no, no not only do I not want that nobody wants that <laughs> put it away where no one can see it I hope this is okay to say Rose Ellen because we've never spoken before but I think you might be the coolest person that's ever lived <laughs> like <laughs> as you're talking I'm just like what, is? what a powerhouse <laughs> what a powerhouse and oh, you know you. I try. It's, it's been my life's work <laughs> well you've you've achieved it Nirvana here we are <laughs> Um, because you know that thing of um, the mic being moved or you know I I am I'm definitely not very technically minded that is something I don't know a lot about but I think then I allow you know sound technicians to make choices that I actually do know enough that I don't want and then it's about stepping into this voice that you're talking about and it's always you're always kind of like working against the tide as a woman in music aren't you you know uh, often and uh, yeah just just brilliant brilliant um reflections for us to learn from Rose thank you I'm sure you don't need to learn any of this <laughs> I'm sure you're perfectly aware of all of it. I tell you what, I've learned so much doing this podcast, just talking to people. Because mm -hmm. I think often, like, um, in, well, in any industry, I guess, and especially for women, there's a finite number of spots at festivals. There's a finite amount of attention for female artists, where, um, where there seems to be an infinite <laughs> amount for um, male artists. And I, and I think... Um, I think I definitely bought into a sense of competition that really isn't there. It's a construct. And mm -hmm. so these podcasts are the first time I was sitting down and talking to non-male musicians about the real stuff that mm -hmm. matters. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Um, yeah, I think when I finally, you know, get back to going out on tour again sometime next year, I'm it's it's changed me these conversations and Pinky's view on things you know coming from a a non-artist perspective but as somebody who's dedicated her life's work to um uh you know the violence against women and girls sector just all these different yeah, things yeah. that I just yeah my mind's been blown open so this is another wonderful conversation that I'm just so grateful we can have and we can share with people you're doing the real work Pinky doing the important <laughs> stuff she is <laughs> legit <laughs> It all connects through, doesn't it? You know, I think there's, you know, as you were saying about kind of, you know, not losing the tradition of the song in terms of lyrics, you know, and that 
that real fine balance of how do we carry traditions on, but actually how does the tradition also play back into the patriarchy? Mm-hmm. You know, what happens if we end up picking songs that actually just recreate, you know, women's places being in the kitchen? Mm-hmm. And I think we've, you know, and I'd certainly be interested to get both of your mm-hmm. views, you know, we've had conversations with people about how do you do both? How do you keep the history of the art form and of folk music and keep the stories alive? Mm. And how can we or should we even move them forward in some way we do you remember last year or the year before you did the one of your workshops with martin carthy where no. you did they they do like a joint ballads they kind of talk about every aspect of the tradition and, and maddie picks usually four or five songs that martin is really well known for um and three out of the four i think that you picked that year he had changed the ending so that the women in them weren't harassed to the very last verse. He had some kind of comeuppance, you know, he had some measure of voice or revenge or something in the last verse. And he said, no, I made all of those up. <laughs> and I thought, I thought, wow, you know, you've, 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 well, he says that you can't, what does he say about the tradition? Oh, the, the only thing you could, do to damage it is not sing it. Yeah, that's the only damage you can do. Because, like I say, it is all there. You know, yeah. anything we're going to find, everything that's available is still available in, you know, and yeah. we've got all those old singers, the old traditional singers. And um, John John Kirkpatrick came and did a weekend uh, just listening to, to some of those old singers and analysing exactly what they do, which is really quite complex. You know, it's like the opera singers think that we're just poor opera singers because they don't get the point that it's a different vocabulary, you know, musical vocabulary that the folk world has got, which is quite specific in many ways. And not at all what, what opera is trying to do. It isn't, it isn't trying to be opera. Mm. And I sometimes think that opera people don't get that. <laughs> they think we've just failed. <laughs> and we're just crap. You know, they haven't understood that this. There's a skill. There's a skill there that's just beyond the, the hearing. <laughs> skill of storytelling, yeah, and yeah. Um, it, this kind of links into the next question that we that we had for you, um, and to talk about the Silly Sisters record with June Tabor, oh, right. and of course that opens with Doffing Mistress Scott. Right. My husband's got no courage in him. You know these brilliant, fabulous songs of female strength, and I guess. I wanted to know, you know, if that was um, a, a choice, you know, what you put on that record was a very specific choice that you wanted to include songs about female empowerment and how they were received at the time the album came out in the 70s. We just liked those songs. And I think we, we went for, for women's songs because they just suited us. And we, 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 the work we'd done before was with, uh, we'd done some Bulgarian material. Um, we, we were at... Uh, Cecil Sharp House and um, um, one of the Scottish singers, it was Archie Fisher, was there, and he said he said the overtones of Deaf and the Dog, which we were very pleased with. We thought that was great, and um, so so the the sound that we went for and got was this kind of slightly harder um, dissonant harmonies, quite a lot, and the songs it was we, we we chose songs that sort of worked in that way, I think. Um, and that gave us opportunity to do slightly different things. Um, but I, I'm not sure, well, female empowerment wasn't a thing, but most of the, a lot of the folk songs, in fact, um, Walter Scott said that, that the ballads were written by people, they were written by women, because the women are nearly always the most active force in the ballad. The, the men are quite often rather bland and don't do a lot, uh, you know, not always, but quite a lot of them. It's the active one is the woman. So, so and, and I like that. I like that. And it's, it's true that there are. Um, and so, but June and I just liked songs that we, we could sing well and, and brought in harmony that worked for us. I don't know if we've tried a, a huge numbers of songs. I don't think we did. We just went for the songs we knew. But of course, we were at the, we were at the same point of the, re- the revival. So we knew the same things. We came at it the same way. Our, our, choice of song and our style of singing matched really well at the beginning because we'd come up through the same, um, listening to the same people, 
working on the same material. And it's interesting that the early, um, the, well, the, the revival that I was involved in, if you like, um, was kind of an archetypal area very pretty much. I think now there's, you see, Victorians for us were quite recent. So we weren't that into Victorian ballads, if you know what I mean, whereas that's quite a long way away now. So that seemed to become more popular, I think, among young singers, which is a sort of an interesting how you think there's only one of, um, kind of amount of material, but actually it's, it's quite different and different generations come at it differently and they see different things in it, which is fascinating because I've been through sort of a couple really now. You know, revival, uh, revivals kind of, they, they, I always think of it as an ellipse that goes round popular music. It never goes away, but sometimes it swings an awful long way out before it comes back. And then it'll cross sort of near the, near the mainstream, but then it'll go out again. But it never goes away. What an awesome image that is, of it just, you know, <laughs> circling all things. But encompassing it all, because it goes back to what you were saying at the very beginning, people don't change that much. No. So the songs of our tradition remain relevant. They remain um, pertinent. They remain able to connect to people's deepest um, base human nature, don't they? So um, I did quite a lot of work at one point with a, um, a, a Jungian analyst, and we we looked at the ballad. So I did a two-hour program on radio too. It was extraordinary because we played the whole ballad for two hours. It was amazing with a sort of an, anal an analytical, a Jungian analytical aspect on them, and it completely changed my view of the ballad. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Me too. Um, I think it's. It's incredible that the two songs that you mentioned, I think for, for me now, are incredibly problematic. Um, and I, I've never thought of Doffing Mistress as being a feminist anthem in any sense, because all of those women are still working in a man's mill. You know, mill work was never um, empowering for anyone, you know, but, but, the fact that they all really respected each other and really worked together and, and had a real sort of uh, feminine friendship at their work is joyful, really beautiful to hear. And, and that's what I've always loved about that particular song is they really respected her because she was fair. And, you know, yeah, they all seem to get on and make the best of it that's the feeling you get from the song which is, um... it's like a vision of another world yeah, yeah. where she could be the one in charge oh, and, I see. Yeah, and yeah, like okay, from, from my perspective so it's everything that you said and uh -huh. it's a view to what it what it could be and what in some yeah. ways it will be of course there's still a way to go yeah. Um, but yeah I I leave these songs uh very much in their time you know, they are historical documents in their way. So I always place them where they are. Um, and, and my husband's got no courage in him is, is incredibly problematic for me because I, I won't sing a song um, if I reverse the genders in it. Because of course, when they were written, genders were a, 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 the only thing. The binary was the only thing there was. Um, so, if I reversed them, would I sing it? So if it was my wife is barren and frigid, would I sing it? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> so, you know, for me, that's that's a bit problematic. And uh, but but for them, mm. back when, even when you sang it, yeah, well, I still sing it. <laughs> we were in a, a bad era. You know, we were in a bad era, a bad bad time for women back then. Well, I, I think it's the only song that that, that approaches that discussion at all mm. and I think it's it kind of a kind it's one of a kind and um, goodness knows where it comes from I don't, I don't know its history at all but it, it's it's kind of yeah I, I think it's, it is what it is you know exactly I enjoy singing I used to love it I used to it was great crap but then you know yeah I've, I've grown up a bit and yeah there are certain what are you saying like, what are you saying <laughs> Yeah, but, but things like, I, I had a discussion with John Bowden about the song Fanny Blair, and he wouldn't sing that, you see, but I think that's incredibly important because that tells an absolutely accurate picture of what sexual abuse of children is like now. You know, that hasn't changed. It's still someone you know, uh, most likely, you know, and it's still um, 
the the conspiracy of men around you to to kind of hush it up and all that I think is incredibly important to keep things like that that are very relevant things like uh, that have unfortunately become more relevant as the time gone on like Pauline Weaver and you know to show poverty how it was and how it still is you know yeah that doesn't there are parts of the world where it's absolutely true mm. still um, and uh, yeah there's there are songs that there's always a debate about um, uh, little Sir Hugh um, and then it's about the Jewish pogrom in uh, Lincoln I think it was in York and I think it's important that these things are remembered that that it's it's not just where it happened just recently it's happened for a long long time and it's we you know I don't I, I think not singing it is not a not a way not forward <laughs> yeah but, but that's that's my take on it yeah no but what you I guess what you both speak to is probably what you know appeals to me about folk music as a non-artist non-musician and it's that space that it creates to unpick and start having conversations right and that you can have one song that two people can see and understand very differently and I think the question for me is like how do we create more of these spaces where we can actually not just perform song you know or have an evening for entertainment and a night out but how are we creating those spaces for conversation to start unpicking some of the context and some of the history behind them you know because they are they're rich there's so much in there oh yeah they're, they're about very real things i mean they're not, yeah. so they're not um they aren't jolly tunes really <laughs> i mean maddie and, and most other um folk musicians who, who play live are, are very careful about their introductions and they often do place it in context of time and of um, kind of society at that point in time and um, they kind of usually will acknowledge the socio-political kind of feeling of the time in relation to the song yeah, and I mean, that's incredibly helpful yeah. and I think incredibly necessary you know it's all very well saying um, I know this song from the singing of, yeah. but actually to you need to, to, get context, to know what your context is important for yeah. these songs. And also, background. if you're going to sing it, you need yeah. to know where it's come from. You know, Maddie is a great interpreter of a song, and that's she, you should hear her teaching people about interpretation. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing um, because a folk song, you know, can be very boring if it's not sung from, from a place of real emotion. And you have to connect yourself to that song by the research, you know, yeah. and Maddie can do that. Yeah, and, you know, music's clearly important to you as a family. You know, it's clearly, you know, in many ways, the glue that that connects you and binds you. But, you know, why is it so important? Why is that the thing that has stuck for you in terms of driving you and become your lifeblood? Well, I, th I think one of the things about having um, parents that do something, if it's carpentry or whatever it is, it's a, it's you you see it as something that is done. Yeah. You know, it's like nobody in my house ever fixed anything in my, my when I was growing up. Nobody fixed anything. But there are some people I know they just go straight into fixing mode because that's what they've always done. And I think it's the same with singing it to, to a degree. It, music was it was there mm. you didn't have to make sort of big fuss about it it wasn't uh, you weren't going to sort of sh it wasn't about showing off which of course it was when I was growing up um and I got over that <laughs> apparently <laughs> um but, but you know what I mean I, I had to fight those kind of things where people said what you're gonna go on you could what you're gonna go away from really <laughs> what go on to to what you know, and all that, because nobody done that. Aren't you going to get a proper job and stuff? You know, proper jobs, big thing. And um, and so so I didn't have to, I had to fight that sort of stuff. Whereas Rose had a different fight, which is to not not be overpowered by what we perceived we are. Mm. And our fame is kind of quite niche, actually. famous <laughs> you know, fame is relative. Well, I mean. fame is relative, yeah. but it is quite niche. And um, but, but as I say, it's interesting that I think that it becomes something that's all right to do. It's there. You mm -hmm. kind of do it, you know. I um, think of it like somebody who had 
a footballer as a parent or you know yeah or, or an amazing scientist that achieved things and had published papers and things it, it, it's something that you don't see as like a unicorn career you see it as something that you've seen happen and you know can be true and real um and then and they always encouraged me somehow so dad would would always bring me to the studio whatever he was doing in the studio he would say is the snare too loud do you think it's a bit toppy maybe we should put it in a room uh what do you think Rosellen? and i would say um yeah you know a little bit less of 1k or you know whatever it was and and he would always involve me you know do, do you want to put a harmony on this we could do that quickly before we all go and do whatever we're going to do um do you think it needs a, a the guitar part doubled it, these were always questions that were leveled at me so i had to learn what the answers were <laughs> or i had to at least learn what my opinion of it was yeah. so and and Maddie always tried to get me to do um I'd shove her on stage at the drop yeah, of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I got a, she was teaching singing at 17, wasn't it? Yeah. Something like that. No, I, I said, I said uh, you know some songs. Go, yeah. go teach them some songs. Yeah. <laughs> Not well, but I learned. Um yeah, the the live performance thing was always something that there was a huge amount of opportunity to do. So I took the opportunity, but you know, pretty soon it was my my adulthood realized that, that wasn't my thing because gigs are never perfect and so I'm, I'm not interested in them i don't care that they're not perfect <laughs> to, be, to be near perfect or perfect if possible so it leaves no room for flexibility or creativity and then i'm not interested so when i when i realized the, the you know packing up the leads really perfectly and and making sure everything was packed into the flight cases and the flight cases were packed really nicely into the van when i realized that was my favorite bit of the gig, i went oh no I think I have to stop doing this. So that was uh, that was ten years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't looked. I haven't looked back. No. The worst thing I, I can imagine is doing leads. Yeah, there you go. You see, we're all different. I <laughs> know. Oh, I'm with Rose Ellen. Give me, give me I, a nice box any day. <laughs> the but judgment you know, it brings us together. The reason music brings us together is because it physically brings us to the same place. Yes. <laughs> You know, we have to physically be in the same place to do music together. And I think I think that's what why music is great. And that's why the pandemic has been horrendous, because nobody's been their usual social selves. And you can all arrange and, and uh, sing things separately on separate tracks in a studio all day she long. Has, she has done some wonderful uh, acapella pieces. She has. They're really good, but she's not put them out there yet. <laughs> what do I want? Fame? <laughs> I'm not interested. <laughs> no, they're lovely. It's just, it's just I'd like a pasty. If you've got a pasty, I'll have a pasty. <laughs> but I'm not, I, I, you know, I can't be, I can't be bothered. So um, when people sing together in a room, it's a magic. You know, the, the, all yeah. of the frequencies vibrate and interact in a totally different way. And it's the same when we're there as people, we socially interact very differently than, than when we're on Zoom. Uh, so as a singing group, it's it's hugely important when you're making music with someone to be in the room. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just like, yeah, I mean, pasty, definitely up there. Definitely up there <laughs> of motivational, motivational things. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much, both of you, for giving your time and insights today. Just, I feel like we could talk all all afternoon. Just such a privilege to chat to you. You both, you know, just so passionate and wonderful. And we highly recommend that everybody get themselves to on a Stones Barn course ASAP for us all to learn to grunt and cry and shout and scream to express yeah. ourselves in our fullness. Um, so thank you both for joining us today. Very 
do make sure you check out Stones Barn online. It's stonesbarn.co.uk. They've got loads of wonderful courses coming up, including a fantastic sounding one called Wild Beats and How to Sing Them with Pete Flood, who's the drummer in the Oyster Band, among a bunch of other folk credentials. But he's also a botanist. So it's going to be walking, identifying fungi, singing and more. It just sounds awesome. And there's also a fantastic um, weekend with Corrine Polwart coming up, um, all based around the Scottish songbook. Uh, meanwhile, the brilliant Maddie is off on tour this month with the Carnival Band and their annual Christmas Shindig of Dreams. You can catch them at venues all over the country. The tour has just started and it finishes on the 23rd of December in Birmingham. Have a wonderful festive season, everybody, and we look forward to joining you in 2022, where we will continue to attempt to take over the folk industry with our own brand of feminism. Stay fierce. This podcast was a Betty Beetroot production.